Hello and good evening and another very, very warm welcome to another edition of the Liam Davis Show here on Shoreditch Radio in London. I hope you've all had a good week since we last spoke to each other last Tuesday evening. Uh, busy programme, two guests tonight. Um, later on in the programme, I shall be joined, we're going to be talking education later on in the programme. I'm going to be joined uh, in the studio by Emily Follow-Runshow. Emily is a, a teacher at a school in London, and we're going to be speaking to her a little bit about uh, the GCSE and A-level exam results last week that were uh, very much in the headlines, very much in the news. Going to have a little chat around those uh, next uh, in the next half an hour or so. But my first guest, uh, pleasure to welcome him back onto the programme. Always nice to chat to him. Uh, I know that he was in Belfast uh, last week uh, for the Super Cup final. Well, I know he had a very busy uh, Premier League weekend as well uh, with the uh, demolition job that Manchester United did on Leeds United, of course, um, on the weekend. So we're going to be talking uh, football for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. And a pleasure to welcome back uh, to the programme to Darren Fletcher. Darren, uh, nice to have you back. Are you well? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well indeed. Uh, very well indeed. Um, I think a good place to start, Darren, would be that Super Cup final last week. It might be a bit of, bit of a distant memory now, um, but um, I, what was your thoughts on, on the game itself? Particularly, um, I, I guess, uh, Thomas Tuchel's, uh, if you like, uh, fantastically good substitution in extra time, bringing on Kepa. Um, earned most of the headlines but I mean what then morphed itself into the 3-0 victory for Chelsea on Saturday against Crystal Palace I guess they gained a huge amount of confidence from that win yeah I think look whenever you come on the Super Cup each, each year you know you've got to take it for what it is and the reality of it yes there's a trophy up to grabs and its reward for winning in Europe last season, but from a managerial standpoint, from a club standpoint, it's another part of the pre-season preparation, and that was always going to be the priority for Chelsea, and in a different way to, to Villarreal, um, it's the reason why uh, the, the squad was managed in the way that it was managed, it was about minutes. It was a great opportunity. I mean, we, we kind of spoke about it during the commentary. Said, you know, in an ideal world, you would want to get to the end of 90 minutes and then go straight to a penalty shootout. From a Chelsea perspective, bearing in mind James players like Mason Mount, etc., who hadn't been back in pre-season training that long, it gave them more minutes on the pitch, so it might actually have been beneficial. Um, you know, I think from a Chelsea standpoint, it went as well as it could go. The only thing that counted against them was the injury to Hakim Ziyech, which is a blow for them because mm. he's been in fine form in pre-season and I think there's high expectations for him in season two. But I mean, apart from that, you know, it, it served as good end of it because you can leave Belfast as they did with the Super Cup, but it turned out to be a perfect night. So from a Chelsea standpoint, everything was, everything was good. And, you know, I think I fully expect them to, to build on that, start the season well, to carry it, so it would be really serious contenders this season. Mm, how much um, do you think that the signing of Romelo Lukaku will boost that, um, that chance 
Uh, Darren, I mean, one of the obvious things, I mean, I was at the game on Saturday when they played Crystal Palace. You watched them last week against Villarreal. I mean, the one thing that is glaring, I mean, bless him, Timo Werner, he really does try and he works his, um, you know, works his socks off. But watching him there on Saturday against uh, Crystal Palace, um, I don't know, my sense is... Chris Sutton, who obviously had a fantastic career generally, but it didn't quite work for him when he went to Chelsea. And I don't know, there's an, there's an air of, of Chris Sutton about Timo Werner. So I, I think the signing of Lukaku um, is a major piece of the jigsaw for Chelsea. Yeah, I take your point. But, but what I would say is that you know, hindsight is, is tremendous for everybody. And I don't think anybody, when we knew that Timo Werner was going to be signed by Chelsea, I don't think there was anybody that didn't expect him to score plenty of goals at Stamford Bridge. The track record at Leipzig and the track record at Germany would indicate that he was going to fit into the Premier League perfectly, be a huge addition for Chelsea and be fine. At the moment, he looks to be like a player completely lacking confidence. And, you know, a run of goals, which, which I mean, the million dollar question is how does that start, where does it come from? But I, I wouldn't necessarily completely write Timo Werner off as a Chelsea player at this stage. Likewise, I wouldn't just automatically presume that Romelu Lukaku is going to make Chelsea Premier League champions and make them significantly better. Mm. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into the team, how he fits into the group. We can only assess it track record line and, and see what we see with Belgium and make the assumption that he's a better striker now than he was when he was at Manchester United. But we can't get away from the fact that the problem for him when he was at Old Trafford was the fact that he could score goals against the cert- against certain teams, but when Manchester United played against the very best and he was up against the very best defenders, Lukaku found it difficult now. Is he going to be able to come back into the Premier League and perform well against Virgil van Dijk? Mm. Is he going to perform well against Ruben Dias? Is he going to be the significant player that Chelsea need him to be at just short of £100 million against the very best defensive teams in the Premier League? And the answer to that question is until we actually see him play, we don't know. Now, if you said to me what would your instinct be, my instinct would be that he's developed in a footballer since he's been in Italy. And he comes back to the Premier League a more rounded centre forward. And it's highly likely that he ends the season around 25 goals and he will have scored goals at key times for Chelsea to make them stronger. But until we see him do it, we can't be certain. So I'm, 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 prepared, to be, I'm prepared to be patient and see how it plays out. Only because Timo Werner is the perfect case in point that at the start of last season, we all would have sat there and said, he'll get 25 or 30 goals in the Chelsea team because look what he did at Leipzig. Mm. And it's just not turned out that way. So, you know, signing strikers, signing any player comes with an element of, of doubt. Despite the fact he's got the big price tag, we don't know. Track record says he's going to score goals and a significant number of them. The big question for him is, is he going to be the guy to get the 1-0 and the 1-0 win against Manchester City, the 1-0 and the 1-0 win against Liverpool, mm. you know, the winning goal in the Champions League semi-final against whoever, and that's what he's being brought in to do. And until we see it, we can't answer that question properly. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and yeah, the jury's still out, because as you quite rightly point out, everybody said that when 
Chelsea signed Werner and, and it didn't quite prove, even though they did win the Champions League last season, um, yeah. it didn't quite prove to be what I think uh, they'd hoped. So I think the jury's out very much on that. Um, just thinking about um, some of the other football this past weekend then, Darren. Um, Manchester United, let's deal with them. Um, as most people seem to think, it's the, the league championship is going to be contested by four clubs. Let's deal with Manchester United next. Um 5-1, very impressive performance against Leeds United. Um, I mean, obviously, they've, they've spent big um, this summer in, in the two players that they've, they've brought in. Um, what's your thoughts on, on Manchester United? I mean, the performance last Saturday was, was emphatic. And if, if, if you ever want to see... The potential title contender lay a marker down on day one. That was the perfect way to do it. Um, what I would say, and the caveat would be, that Leeds United minus Calvin Phillips was an issue. Leeds United minus Diego Juven. Say, shoot, and I don't think we saw the best of Leeds United by any stretch of the imagination. But from a Manchester United perspective, which is kind of what we're focusing on, it was an A-star performance. Mm on the opening day of the season, and it, it's an A-star performance without Marcus Rashford, without Eddington Cavani, um, without Dean Henderson, and, and without Rafa Varane. So it's a very deep squad. It was also a, a Manchester United performance with a, a semi-fit Jaden Sancho as well. So there's more to come from them. I mean, in terms of what they've got now with regard to the, the squad depth, it's as good as I think it's been since the day of Sancho Ferguson. I think they've recruited well in this window, they recruited well in the last couple of windows and they brought in players who are going to contribute significantly and hugely um, during the course of the season. I expect Sancho to, to have a, a really good season in the Premier League and pick up where he left off in, in Dortmund. I think, he, I think there are people who look at Sancho, if they don't, if they don't watch the Bundesliga, they're not quite sure what, what, what to expect, but if you do watch the Bundesliga, you know what a good player he is. Mm. Rafa Barana alongside Harry Maguire looks like it would be a formidable central defensive partnership. But there are still questions with regard to the Manchester United team. I think they've got to work out who the first choice goalkeeper is. And we've got to work out whether David De Gea or Dean Henderson could perform consistently to the level that a league championship winner needs from the goalkeeping position. No question marks at all, I don't think, with uh, Manchester City or Liverpool in that regard or with Chelsea but I think that is a question still for Manchester United and I would also have a look at the central midfield Fred with Tom and A mm. is that going to be good enough against the very best to see them through I mean you know you would say it probably will be but it is an area that I think a lot of Manchester United supporters still need to be convinced about so it's been a good summer for them the biggest, the biggest difference you're going to see from Manchester United this season, I think, is that they were as good as any team away from home last season. They couldn't win matches at Old Trafford. Now, having been at Old Trafford on Saturday, with the noise that was generated in there, you would expect that to right itself. So if they can pick up more points at home, and pretty much maintain that level of performance away, they're going to be pretty close. The fact of the matter are that they've got 12 points to find on Manchester City, so that's quite a significant gap still. But, I think they'll be right there at the business end of the season. I think, I think by the time you get to April, middle of March, beginning of April, starts to work itself out. 
I certainly think they'll be close enough at that stage to be in contention right the way down to the final few games of the season. Say the same about Chelsea, say the same about Manchester City. Um, and I think Liverpool have an opportunity to be right in there as well, but I think they've probably got the finish of the squads when you analyse the form. Mm. More depth at Manchester City, more depth at Chelsea, more depth at Manchester United. Liverpool is, is, is the team that needs a clean bit of health. Mm. Significant injuries last season, we, we saw the damage it did. If that happens again, they're going to be short because they're not as deep as the others. But the season they won the title, they stayed relatively fit at 11, is as good as anybody. So I, I think, again, the caveat for Liverpool would be is everybody going to stay fit? If they do, they'll be there. If they don't, then I think they're going to be short. So I think they need a bit, I think they need a few more things to roll their way than the other three. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree with that. Just taking. Um Manchester City, Darren, uh, just a, a thought there about City. Um, obviously started the season, uh, the Community Shield was lost to Leicester. Um, some might say don't read too much into what the uh, Charity Shield, the Community Shield produces, but was it the manner of the defeat on Sunday? I mean, obviously it's very early days, first game of the season and lots of players coming back and... You know, Foden is out. Um, there's still some players there who are getting used to, you know, being back in the swing. Some might say, well, lots of other clubs had that issue also. You know, the Chelsea's, the Manchester United's, etc. But was it the manner of the defeat on on Sunday against Tottenham that perhaps would worry Pep Guardiola a bit? I mean, the reason I pose that question is obviously you were, at, you know, you commentated on the Champions League final when. Um, Chelsea played Manchester City back in, in, in May. Um, and whilst, yes, City may well beat teams, uh, uh, you know, further down the division, is there a worry with maybe the style of play and this overpassing that, that's been levelled at them, that when they come up against the best teams in the division, the Chelsea's, Tottenham, Manchester United, Liverpool, that they're going to come a little bit a cropper simply because... Um, teams at the top end can 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 absorb it and hit them on the counter attack, as Tottenham did so brilliantly well on Sunday, as Chelsea did so brilliantly well in the Champions League final. Is that why maybe this pursuit of Harry Kane is so so important for C? I think it's the reason why they're pursuing him as, as fiercely as they are, because I think at the moment it's it's a good point that you make, and that is that. Manchester City without a number nine pretty much has a way to play and while they can tinker with the personnel they can't necessarily change the method I think with an out and out number nine that we used to see when Aguero was in his prime they can attack you in various different ways and I think that's the reason why they want Harry Kane because it will give them a different way of going about it but they're always going to play a numbers game they're going to play possession game and mm. try and take, pin you into your own half and they're going to get overloads and think they're going to play the Guardiola way and we know what the Guardiola way is and when that method is working well it's very hard to stop but I think without that recognised out and out number nine they can look a little bit lightweight at times when when things aren't flowing as well as it can I think they can look 
relatively easy to stop and we've seen teams able to do that and I think this is why they're pursuing Harry Kane as fiercely as they are because Guardiola is aware that he might need to fight the battles in a different way. There'll be, it's a horses for courses situation mm. that there are going to be certain times this season where he might need to go about it slightly differently and he might want other elements to that team's game that he can use at different times. The caveat I would put in again though is that managers and coaching staffs put pre-seasons together in different ways and you know Manchester City as much as anybody in the league has been affected by not just the European Championships but the Copa America and City are expecting to be involved right at the end of the season and certain managers will tailor pre-seasons where frustrated in the second half of the season we, we're not privy to how the Manchester City pre-season has gone at what various stages of preparation the individual players are at I think it's always dangerous to take the opening game of the season and then make any kind of judgment about what a football team will look like. Yeah, I yeah. said during the commentary on Saturday, you know, they're going to play three league games and then there's going to be an international break. When the teams come back after the international break, you tend to find the league starts to settle down then because the players have played enough football to be where they want to be. Then the league can really start. And I think until we get to that stage, I think we'd all be foolish to either say, yeah, they're going to win it, or they're not going to win it, or they've got a problem, or they're going to be okay. Because we could quite easily be sat here talking next week. Manchester City have had a good result on, on, on the weekend, mm. and Manchester United have lost. Now, could that then make last weekend's performance against Leeds any less impressive? No, not really. But it probably shows that there are people within the Manchester United team who are not quite there. So I think we've got to give them time to settle in, to get everybody fit, to get the preparation completely sorted. I mean, Chelsea, the perfect case in point, we were in, 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 in Belfast last week, we touched on the Super Cup. There was about half a dozen Chelsea players that night who'd only been back in training for two or three games. So you don't really know at what stage the City players are in terms of when they came back and what they've been doing. So I think a lot of this is about fitness and sharpness, etc. But I would say that, you know, Manchester City with Harry Kane, I think it's a big deal for them. Mm. And I think if they can get that over the line, then it's going to give them something they haven't got. And that is going to make them even more formidable. Um, but I, still, I would still say to you that whoever finishes above Manchester City this season will be the Premier League champions regardless of what I'm talking about on Sunday. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you're listening to the Liam Davis show here on Shoreditch Radio. I'm joined by BT football commentator Darren Fletcher. Um, Darren, just uh, quickly before we finish on the top of the sort of top of the table, um, we've talked about those four teams. Um, do you think there's any outside of those four um, that can potentially challenge for the title? Um Obviously, Spurs got off to a really good start on on Sunday and beating um, Manchester City. Um, I, I mean, Leicester obviously they they beat Wolverhampton on the weekend. Um, would would you expect there to be any challenge outside of those four teams that we spoke about? Not for the title, no. Um, I think there might be a challenge for fourth place. I certainly, feel that the Tottenham's challenge for anything this season hinges on whether they keep Harry Kane or sell him. I think that's going to have a huge bearing on, on, on where they can even think about finishing. 
I think you'll get, you know, another consistent season from Leicester, but I think ultimately they'll be shorted the four that we've spoken about. Mm. And after that, I think mean, you can't really see anybody in the ballpark, can you? I mean, the way that Arsenal started the season would indicate they're going to be looking below them rather above them. Um, and I just think the gap between the top four and everybody else is so big that it's virtually impossible at this stage to bridge. You know, Manchester United are better. Manchester City will be better. Um, Chelsea are better. Leicester, you know, Leicester have signed two or three players, but they've not spent 97 million quid on a striker. Mm. They've not been able to sign a four-time Champions League winner and a World Cup winner to play centre-back, as well as one of the brightest prospects in world football. Um, you know, they've not been able to sign Jack Grealish and potentially get Harry Kane. And they're also not sat there thinking, we've got Virgil van Dijk back after we've so, those four teams are so much better than they were last season that it seems impossible for me to think that over the course of 38 games, unless something goes markedly wrong for one of the four, that anybody can get anywhere near them. You know, I think the gap between four teams will be wider than it was last season to the rest. And I think that the, the gap between the four teams in the top four will be a lot tighter than it was last season. I, I would expect, and look, I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I usually am. <laughs> but I, I think the top four will be away and clear and almost fighting their own battles this season. And then the rest of the teams in the Premier League will kind of be gauging up at them and going, right, OK. You know, I, I'm the biggest advocate of a tight title race where six or seven teams are involved and it goes deep. I just can't see it. What I would say though, Liam, and, and I think this is going to be huge, I think there are teams good enough, quite a few of them, on any given day to take points off the teams that we're talking about. We saw the Spurs at the weekend. You know, and I think when Leeds United get firing at Ellen Road, that's going to be a difficult place for anybody to go. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, I, look at, I look at Leicester, the King Power Stadium is going to be a tough out for people. And Leicester are all also pretty good away. I think that you're going to get Saturdays and Sundays and Friday nights and Mondays and all that kind of thing where you go, wow, didn't see that one coming. I think we'll get a few of those this season. <laughs> I still think those four teams are going to be further away than, than they were last year. Well, let's absolutely hope so. That's that's what we want. And if other teams can come into it, that would be even better. Um, just some thoughts uh, briefly, Darren, about down at the bottom. Um, I mean, Norwich didn't get off to a, a good start against Liverpool. Many people will probably will have expected that result. Um, Brentford, of course, got off to a fantastic start against Arsenal. There'll be a lot of Arsenal fans who might be listening to this who, who, who are probably quite worried about their team and... And 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 at the manner again of the performance, I think that was probably more concerning um, than the result. And then, obviously, thinking about some other teams, Crystal Palace, uh, Darren got off to a very poor start. Again, some would be maybe not expect them to get very much at Chelsea, but again, perhaps the manner of the performance was was concerning. Southampton um, obviously lost to Everton. Um, Wolves, lots of people are talking about Wolves um, this season. I know you know sort of Midlands football, you know, sort of East and West quite well. Um, Wolves, um, you know, again, obviously Nuno has gone to Spurs. There were some concerns about Wolves last season. Um, Burnley, Brighton got off to a very good start, of course. But again, would, would you expect it to be those group of teams that I've just mentioned that will struggle? 
mean, that's a lot of teams that you touched on there. I, I think what, what I would say from, from kind of eight down, there are so many questions over all the teams that you, that you talk about. I mean, Wolves were what they were last season without Raul Jimenez. Now, if, if Raul Jimenez, and we hope he does, if he can come back and be the Raul Jimenez before the injury, then that is a, a completely different element to that Wolves team that found it very difficult to score goals. Mm. Thinking, well, we should be able to kick on from here. Crystal Palace are a fascinating case. Now, Crystal Palace has had to get younger for a few seasons now. Uh, Roy Hodgson retired, Patrick Vieira comes in, they release something like 16 or 17 players, so they want to try and get younger, they want to be more dynamic, they want to change the look of it, and I admire uh, Steve Parrish and, and, and the group there for, for taking that decision. But with that has to come patience, and it has to be a build. It can't be another divorce situation where three or four games into the season you're making a change because it's not gone right. They've made the decision to do it now, they've got to stick with it. Now that might mean they take a step backwards this season, they take steps forward in the future. If that's the case, then that's fine. I mean, Arsenal fascinates me because Mikel Arteta's now had part of the season and the full season. So this is the second full season that Mikel Arteta's had. And I feel that you get to a stage where you should start to see what the plan is, that you should start to see the shape, you should start to see the method, you should start to see progression within that. Mm. And I'm afraid the performance against Brentford last week didn't show it. Now, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, well, you said that didn't matter with Manchester City, but you said it matters with Arsenal. The only reason I would say that is that I know what the City are going to look like when it's right, and they've got a track record of getting it right mm. and being right. Mm. Arsenal don't have that. You know, last season was disappointing for Arsenal. I look at the Arsenal team now, and I see so much frailty. The confidence completely less than at Brentford. The goals they considered were soft. You know, this is a side that theoretically should be going into every season due to the side of the club and thinking we were a challenge for the top four, we're trying with a trophy. You can't meekly surrender like they did at a newly promoted team on the opening night of the season yeah. when you've had a large part of the summer to prepare for it. So the Arsenal defeat was a worry for me and I know that the kind of side that are capable of getting on decent runs and you know, they, can, they can string a, a sequence together but I just don't see it. They want to get younger, they want to get more dynamic, they put the faith in the young players, they've got a lot of talented ones, but I just wonder whether they've got the physical and moral fibre to go through what they need to do. Yeah. They look to soft touch, they look to soft touch on opening night. Soft teams in the Premier League don't go very far. Now they might prove me wrong. They've certainly got talent there. We're led to believe Arteta is, is, is a good manager and a good coach. He needs to prove it this year. Now the flip side to that is, Aubameyang's 32. If Aubameyang can be Aubameyang from the season before last, they've got half a chance. But if you don't have a fully functioning Pierre-Emery Aubameyang, where, where do the goals come from? And if they're conceding goals, the regularity that they look like they're going to concede them based on the ones that went in against the Brentford, it looks like it's going to be a long season. I, 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 I don't really know who Arsenal are, what Arsenal are, mm. and what they're going to look like. Mm. Um, so I, I, I don't know. But I mean, it, it's fascinating. You, know, you, you look at West Ham and they were full of energy at the weekend. Yeah. David Boyd, they kind of picked up when they left off at the back end of last season. They're excited about playing in Europe. 
Uh, again, they've got to keep Mikel Antonio fit because they're, they're struggling in the, in the sense of full position if anything happens to him. But when he's in the side, they're a difficult team to beat. They're well organised, they're fit. They've got a lot of things going for them. So I, I think that there's a lot of storylines that run through each of the teams this season. And of course, you know, we've still got a few days until the transfer window closes. So yep. there might be one or two deals that kind of tip things this way or the other for one or two of those sides. But I would look at the newly promoted teams again and you'd say, you know, it looks difficult for them because it always is. I've just got a sneaking suspicion this season that because Brentford know who they are, and Thomas Frank knows what they are, and everybody is kind of singing from the same hymn sheet. I just, I, I, I've just got a feeling that they might stay up. I just think that Brentford might just have enough to stay up. Um, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to that prediction. <laughs> yeah, it's, only, it's, only, it's only a hunch, you know, but I just think that they've already got the win against Arsenal, which is going to be huge for them. And while other teams sort themselves out, I don't think they really need to sort anything out because they're going to do what they did last season. They're going to try and do it better. And I just think that they... I just think they've given themselves as good a chance as they can have to stay in the Premier League. So I'm kind of rooting for them because they're trying to do things a little bit differently. And they're trying to put one or two trends. And when I saw the looks on those people's faces inside that stadium on Friday, you know, I, I, it made me root for them a little bit as well. So there's a bit of that involved as well. But <laughs> it was such a thing. I'm kind of thinking, I hope this lasts for a period of time. I hope it's not a one-off. Absolutely, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Be, be good if be good for them, certainly, um, if they can. Particularly, I think, having fans back in the stadium um, obviously makes that a, a, a much wonderful thing. For all teams, really, I think, Darren, having the supporters back in the ground yeah. this weekend was... I'll tell you what I found at Old Trafford, and that is that when the stadiums are empty, I think it's easier to switch momentum in games. I think if you're a goal down or two goals down, it's just a matter of whether you yourself as a, or you as a team can, can kind of do things to change it. But when Manchester United got on a roll on Saturday, the noise of the crowd, the momentum it gave the players, the players were, were rolling along on this wave. It made it virtually impossible for Leeds to slow it down. Mm, mm. And I think we, you know, I know we've all said, need the fans back, great to see the fans back. From a personal perspective, I'd almost forgotten just what a significant difference it can make. And the minute Manchester United went 2-1, and Old Trafford got behind them, I stood there in the commentary position, you thought to yourself, there's no way Leeds can turn this round now. And I think that's going to be important, that... The away record was so much better last season for sides because it was a different story. But this year, you're going to get back to what it was. Home advantage is going to be big. Teams that had a big home advantage before lockdown are going to get that home advantage back again. So I think that's a key that we've got to look at this season. The momentum of the home team, it's really difficult for the away side to turn it. Absolutely. Um, one final point um, before I let you go. Um, you mentioned earlier, you said um, any team that finishes above Manchester City will win the Premier League. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot to finish off with. Do you think any team will finish above Manchester City this season? 
If they sign Harry Kane, I would say no. Right. If if they if they don't sign Harry Kane, then I think there's every chance that, that Chelsea or Manchester United could be. Wow, there you go. Interesting. Um, we'll review. I think it's going to boil down to what Daniel Levy does or doesn't do between now and the 31st of August. And I think how much Manchester City is prepared to pay will tell you whether they think that too. Here's <laughs> 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 150 million quid. I think that, that, that's the indicator that they think that that's probably the case as well. Well, wow, that's um, good. But yeah, I, I think I think it will be closer. I don't think they're going to be twelve points above everybody else, like they were last year. I think this is going to come down to way, way, way finer margins than that. Absolutely. Well, um, Darren, listen, it's been lovely talking to you as ever. We're going to review. We'll review these predictions um, later on in the uh, in the season. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed for coming on the show, Darren. Thank you, mate. My pleasure. Cheers, Darren. And that was uh, Darren Fletcher there joining me uh, on the Liam Davis show uh, here on Shoreditch Radio. And that interview leads us uh, very nicely into my studio guest here on the Liam Davis show on Shoreditch Radio in London. Uh, We're going to be talking education for the next 25 minutes. Um, Delighted to welcome. Very first time. Although I should say... um, (laughs) She's a fellow radio presenter herself. Not the first um, or the last, I hope, uh, radio presenter that we have from Teacher Talk Radio. Um, But uh, she does present um, a show on uh, Teacher Talk Radio. She is a teacher. Um, She's a head of history. She's a lead practitioner. She's an SLE. She's a governor. She must be very, very busy is all I've got to say. come soon you never know um but delighted to welcome uh emily follow show on to the liam davis show on shoreditch radio emily welcome thank you thank you for having me it's really exciting uh, thank you uh thank you indeed for coming on okay let's start right at the very beginning then uh, before we get into some of the stuff that you do now did you always want to be a teacher yeah from young it's always it was in the blood almost yeah yeah, yeah. it's that like my dream job you know that every dream used to be like a singer or a rapper or a basketball player or whatever i've always dreamed to be a teacher i know it sounds so cliche but like when i was young in primary school I'd line up all my teddies get my younger siblings and cousins involved <laughs> make worksheets teach them do a register so yeah it's my dream job <laughs> always wanted to be a teacher always wanted to be a yeah. teacher but wasn't sure whether it wanted to you wanted to be primary or secondary yeah yeah precisely how you, how you know yeah precisely yeah. well it's I one of those it's, it's sort yeah. of one of those dilemmas isn't yeah, it yeah um, yeah always don't want to be a teacher I didn't know what subject nor phase at first I thought maybe primary school and then I realised actually when my mum had my two youngest um, brothers not primary school whatsoever because they're quite annoying <laughs> little kids yeah quite annoying i don't know how primary school teachers do it they have patience have to have a patience of a saint yeah they? literally and then i knew yeah definitely secondary school so why history um i had an amazing history teacher i always loved history to be honest i kind of saw history like gossiping about the past and i fell in love <laughs> with tudor history because it's just a you know gory love story slash blood and all about jazz, I love the Tudors, that's how I fell in love with history. And then I had an amazing history teacher in um, sixth form, and actually, she line manages me. <laughs> now, I can't, can't tell escape. me you've gone back to work in yeah, the school that yeah, you went to. Yeah, yeah, I went back to work in a 
sixth school school that I actually I went to, yeah. So uh, she's amazing and uh, because of her I knew I wanted to be a history teacher before I thought maybe French or maybe English media, something like that. But then it was her that was uh, that made me, you know, it the pain dropped I would say. So do you yeah. teach in a, a sixth form college now or, or is it a, is it a school? It's a school with a sixth form. It's a school yeah, with a sixth yeah. form. So I went to an all girls school right. in Essex. Gotcha. And then I went to a sixth form in London. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Um, Thurrock. Yeah. Thurrock. So, so yeah. you're a true Essex yeah, yeah. girl then. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Essex. Uh, Thurrock is, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, lots of, um, East Thurrock I know rather well, um, yeah. which is, um, Corridum. It's oh, a little yeah, place yeah. Corridum. Not far. So all yeah. sort of docks and things around yeah, that part. So of. I grew up in Tilbury. So, oh. um, yeah, I governed a school in, you know, East Thurrock. So in, um, Staffordley Hope. Ah, um, yes, yeah, Stanford the Hope, yeah. yeah. So I'm quite familiar with the area quite well. <laughs> yeah. Know the area reasonably yeah. well. I know East Tower quite well. Yeah. Um, okay, so you ended, <laughs> you ended up going back to teach at the sixth form of yeah. the school that you went to. Um, yeah, well, I don't know why that happens. <laughs> I've, I've done something similar myself. It's, it, it's, oh, so you were teaching yourself as well? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. oh yes, yeah. Oh, you teach? <laughs> RE teacher. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> so you're familiar with all Yes, yeah. well, uh, uh, it's not often asked the question <laughs> to turn around towards uh, 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 me. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's, not, it's nice for the tables to be turned every now and again. So, um, my, I, so I did, a, uh, actually, I'm, uh, my degree is in social studies. Yeah. Um, social sciences, I should say, my degree is in. Um, but I did some stuff, RE stuff, ended up becoming an RE teacher. Oh. Um, I've also been a head of department, oh, which yeah. was for history yeah. and RE. Oh, wow, so, yeah. Um, in, a, in a school in Enfield. So, yeah. uh, yes, I've taught history, yeah. GCSE. Oh, yeah. I've taught, um, obviously, I teach RE. Yeah. Um, and I've taught sociology. So, oh, so humanity. a lot of humanities, yeah. sort of social yeah. sciences um, subjects. So, yeah. but RE is my, yeah. RE is my favourite out oh, of them yeah, all. Yeah. But I don't, I do like history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like GCSE history. I think A-level history is better. It's funny you mention that. I had a fantastically good A-level history teacher also. Brilliant guy called Joe Whelan. Um, Fantastically good A-level history teacher. Um, And I think I I was very close to doing a history degree. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I did a social (laughs) sciences degree. It's one of those bizarre oddities um, in life. But... um, yeah, I, I, I liked history. Yeah. I did like history. Did it GCSE, did it A-level. Not sure why I didn't do it for a degree. Should have done it, but love history yeah. and still have taught it occasionally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, yeah, there you go. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, the questions are turned over to me. There you go. So there you go, yes. Um, so the answer to your question is yes. Uh, I, I, I've taught... Um, for for now, what fifteen years? Oh wow! So you do this on the side? Yeah. yeah. So oh, this is so, cool. so this is um this <laughs> is so interesting. This is so cool. Yeah. This is this is the the sideline job. Yeah. It keeps your brain away from <laughs> keeps your keeps yeah, your brain yeah, keeps yeah, your brain yeah, ticking yeah. over. Keeps your brain ticking over. So um, how many years have you been teaching? Um. So um, this is September I'm going to my seventh year. Seven years yeah, now. Yeah, seven years. So I'm literally straight out of uni. Always wanted to be a teacher. Know nothing about. Teach I'm first. Teacher. Um, no, not that smart. <laughs> um, PGCE. PGCE. Yeah. 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 So you've been in your current school for what, six years? Yeah, six years six now. Six years yeah, now. Yeah, so I've 
So, um, so you've gone from NQT to head of, head of history. Yeah, head, yeah. Head, head of department. So it's been journey. <laughs> certainly has been. Um, I, I, I mean, it's had its challenges, hasn't it? Um, and it has its challenges. What is it about the job then that you that you love the most? The students. I think for me, it's a banter with the students. Um, like sometimes, not gonna lie, I do cross the mark sometimes, but they give it back. Um, I just love that relationship mm. um, that you build with students. Definitely with the students. And there's not one day that I haven't laughed and. You know, they make a different. Or every time I'm thinking, maybe I should try teach abroad. I then think, will I get the students like I get in my current school? So mm. I think that's what has kept me going and staying. And yeah, London students. in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah, Barking. Barking, yeah. East London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I mean, what would you say? I mean, maybe this year is probably thrown up I was going to say what's the most challenging thing about teaching we've had a lot of teachers on this program we've spoken about planning marking observations it's something obviously that's very very topical at the moment when you look on social media particularly on Twitter amongst the the, the teachers on Twitter what would you say for you is the most challenging part of the job or or has that challenge been increased exacerbated if you like by obviously this past year with the events of, of COVID? Yeah, in a term, in the context of COVID, I would definitely say online teaching. And I felt like I'd mastered my work-life balance mm. um, over the six years, but online teaching completely eradicated those barriers that I put in place because you're working at home and then suddenly it's 10 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I definitely would, would say online teaching. And obviously I just started uh, being in a department uh, at in September so going from now managing staff what a way to start yeah that that has been a bit you know that has been more difficult in terms of planning that I love that creative side of teaching marking I hate Mm. but I would definitely say online teaching has been the most difficult thing I've ever experienced Um, and it's mostly because it eradicated all those barriers that I put in place um in terms of creating that work-life balance that I thought I mastered. Mm. Did COVID present a massive amount of challenges? I mean, particularly in your job, first year as a head of department, I mean, we were going to talk about results day, but perhaps we can do that now and and sort of elaborate the conversation. Before we talk about this summer and, and, and how it all went, I mean, what's been some of the challenges this year, particularly of being a new head of department in a in a school, I'm sure that was greatly affected by COVID, as as every school was, and as I said a minute ago, it exacerbated some of those challenges. I mean, baptism of fire, first year yeah, in a in a in a in a COVID affected world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll definitely say the greatest challenge. Um, yeah, I would say kind of doing everything because most of my department are either heads of years or SLT, so two in my department are heads of years, one is, you know, SLT member, and then one is a teach first, and the other one is just newly qualified, and mm. half of her time was, you know, as an um, NQT, was online teaching, so that feeling of I have to do all, all of this myself, so yeah. the resourcing, although um, some in my department helped, but like, you know, creating the curriculum maps, because sometimes we had to go off course on traditional curriculum, because of the online teachers. So that's why the late nights came into place because 
of trying to adapt and create resources that are fit for purposeful online teaching so in class teaching so yeah that was um really difficult and then chasing up students because they weren't turning up and then becoming Dora the Explorer asking a question <laughs> and then nobody at all responds back and then you just answer your own question um so that was really depleting and you know because teaching is really based on relationships and you thrive off of the energy that's in the classroom but then looking at black screens that was really um mm. it was soul destroying like mm. it, Usually, I'm quite happy going like, you know, we do always, we, we complain sometimes. Well, it's re-emphasised, yeah. isn't it? The, 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 the notion that it is a profession yeah. that has to be done, for it to work effectively, it has to be yeah. done face-to-face, which yeah. is what I find rather interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I, I found it rather interesting that universities, and I, I mean, I don't know if the whole week of lectures is going to be online that I don't know I don't want to say a thing but the general consensus of the stories coming out is that I think something like 85% of universities this yeah. uh, September are going to be using online teaching now when you're paying that sort of money I mean it's over £9,000 a year I mean I, I, I don't know I mean some people say oh when you're writing essays it's good to be at home yeah. but for a lot of the lectures, particularly in that first year, you really do need to be in the classroom. I'm not sure how great an experience it can be yeah. sitting at home. I mean, some might say it's it's better because, but the whole thing about university, you know, people talk about is ex- the experience. Yeah. You're not going to get that yeah. on a computer yeah. screen, are you? Yeah, I definitely agree with that because another hard thing that I forgot to mention, but now that you, you know, stated that was motivating myself and one of the impacts of COVID that I saw coming back was it students found it hard to now motivate themselves. Um, and you do need to have a certain type of discipline to be able to work at home. And I don't know if university students will have that to actually wake up on time to attend these online lectures because there's no form really truly accountability because mm. I know some of my students were playing video games yes. and eating whilst I was teaching online because yeah. it was back blank screens because of safeguarding and there's no accountability there, there's no you know, there's no monitoring there, so it's really difficult in terms of that. And government don't seem to quite really understand that, do they? Yeah, and and, yeah. and the and the complexities around that, yeah. uh, particularly in in um, in London, particularly yeah. in inner London. Um, yeah, really interesting um, discussion. That moving on then to, I mean, one of the other big challenges, and I dare say you were confronted with it, was tags. Um, we've seen some stuff that's been released in the last couple of days around a consultation in regards to uh, next year. Yeah. Um, I know there is some stuff around perhaps topics being told to students in advance and all that sort of thing. Remains to be seen, I think it's come September, October, what announcement is made in regards to that. But just reflecting on the TAGS experience for you as a new, as a new HOD, how was that? And also, last week was obviously results day. Um, you're a school that has a sixth form, yeah. as you've mentioned. How was it when the students got their results? And yeah. obviously, in terms of history at GCSE and A-level, how, how was that as well? So, in terms of the tag process, my school was great in terms of, um, like, it was really robust in terms of what we were to do and how we were to collect the data, how we were to assess and mm. making sure that there was no unconscious bias there. 
and many you know protocols were put in place um, and departments were given um, you know leeway in terms of how they would do it because each each subject is um, kind of, you know special so it, there's a way that you would have to assess it so um, in terms of over the year because we kind of knew that exams would be cancelled um, we assessed throughout the year so they had about five pieces of evidence and we used 2019 grade boundaries um, because that was the last public exam and we thought that would you know um, be be fair um, so I think the way in which we collected the tags was robust and was fair um, in terms of my sixth form students were really happy there was one student that did get a U because um, that he did not submit in any work um, so I can't make up a grade from thin air can I so um, and he wasn't happy with that there was no extraneous circumstances from his side so obviously that student wants to appeal <laughs> um, so they can yeah and they can you know but good luck finding evidence because there was evidence was submitted <laughs> um, so that 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 is interesting and um but overall the grades for a level was really good the average grade in terms of the history department was um a b um, in that's brilliant oh yeah yeah so we were really pleased in terms of that and they did work really hard because a lot of students um over the course of their year two of the students their fathers died due to covid mm, wow. um yeah really sad there was a lot of mental health issues as well as health issues but yeah uh, they really inspired me because they did persevere in terms of gcse um that yeah it was the average grade was about five um because it's got harder um it wasn't as strong as you know our a level results uh, but most seem to be happy and so far there's only one student out of 180 plus well what to appeal wow um, so 180 that, plus it must be a big school yeah it's a <laughs> school with two campuses wow yeah so it's just huge it's it is huge and that that was one of um yeah, it's, yeah. That's, that's a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a big challenge. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, before we move on to talk about Teacher Talk Radio, yeah. I've got to ask you. In terms of September, um, sadly, the summer holiday seems to have gone really, really quickly. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking to myself today, it's two weeks <laughs> until September the first. Yeah. Um, so it's gone. It's gone remarkably quickly. The summer holiday. Yeah. Um, different sort of summer holiday. Shorter. Yeah. Lots of people have not been able to travel, of course. But in terms of hopes for September, yeah. obviously the bubble systems and things have been removed. What's some of your thoughts and feelings around the new academic year when it arrives? I just, I wish, yeah, I just hope I'm rejuvenated um, because I felt really burnt out this year. I'm not gonna lie, um, and as even a thought of work has given me a bit of anxiety. I still feel a bit of that sense of the residue of that burn, burnout. So I just hope that by the time September hits, I'm rejuvenated and ready to go. Um, unfortunately for us, because we're such a big school, the bubble system is still put in place because just in case there's another mm. lockdown um, that might happen or another breakout of COVID, uh, which makes sense. Uh, but um, I do miss my own classroom. Um, <laughs> but it will be. It's. It's. It will. The bubble system is put in place um, loosely, though not as rigid as it was. But yeah, it, it does make sense. So my main hopes for September is um, students that are ready to go and learn, especially my year tens, because they seem a bit um, deflated. So year tens turning into year eleven, and yeah, me just being rejuvenated again and 
get, get my creative hat out because one of the impacts of the burnout that I've seen is that I'm not as creative as I once was in terms of making resources mm. and planning. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. And in terms of your radio show, yeah. um, tell us how it came about um, and how long has it been going? Um, so, those that are into teaching and on Twitter, you might have heard of this infamous guy, Tom Rogers. Um, I, have. <laughs> so, uh, I know he's quite controversial, but he is a great friend of mine. Really love Tom. Um, and um, yeah, he just presented me with the opportunity, and I'm really grateful because I told Tom that he gave me a lifeline because it was in the middle of the third lockdown, and I was literally so like inundated with work and online teaching. And what this did, it forced me to, you know, come out of teaching in terms of my context and think of, thinking of, you know, something else. So it gave me a bit of a hobby, which I'm really great, grateful for. Um, and it's been amazing CPD for myself because I'm interviewing amazing hosts, I guests, and I've learned so much from a wide range of people from all walks of life. Um, and it's my show's on every Monday on yeah teacher talk radio and there's plenty of other hosts as well um yeah so literally how it came about was through um tom rogers <laughs> yeah it's his idea he said that he had an idea he always has ideas yeah and it's, and it's just, <laughs> i just knew as soon as he presented that i thought yeah i'm gonna do it because whatever idea he has it's always blossomed like edgy day and yeah you know, he's generally anything that he does yeah, he does um go viral it's massive yeah, I know Tom, yeah. <laughs> and he is a very, he's uh, he's got a good sense of humour, Tom. I will yeah, say that yeah, much. Yeah. Um, I love him. Because good guy. He's uh, although he's controversial, he's always willing to listen to uh, country ideas that he might not be aligned to. So yeah, I do. I do love Tom. <laughs> no, absolutely, he's a, yeah. he's a he's a great guy, is Tom. Um, so I suppose final question then. Um, Obviously, you've, you've mentioned that you've been in education teaching now for seven years. Um, still a, uh, a young woman. Um, what would you say to... I mean, obviously, there's been a huge amount in the last couple of years, and it's, and it's become even more, if you like, bigger um, since COVID. You know, the greater push... For equality, yeah. Um, as a young black woman, yeah. What would you say to people listening to the program who would aspire to be as successful as you? You've had to work. You know, you've worked very hard. You know, you've only got to look at your Twitter handle to see to get to lead practitioner, head of history, degree, all those things. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. But. Obviously, there is a greater amount of work now being done around equality. Yeah. There's a huge way still to go. What advice would you give to anyone listening to the programme in regards to aspirations and, and inspirations, I suppose, and, and to continue that fight for equality? Yeah, I definitely would say just work hard. I know it seems cliche, but um, I think the fuel of me working hard has been my passion. I really do... I am really passionate about, you know, teaching, about my students, and it seeps through in terms of my work ethic. Um, I definitely would say as well, find the right school. I, I, I was lucky to be placed, you know, at a 
in the right school at the correct time and that's allowed me to flourish um, and um, don't take no for keep building, keep working hard, find experience and sometimes before you get into the door you sometimes have to do job for free a bit just to build up you know um, experience and um, I've never and I've never kind of used my colour as a barrier. I know it's you know a very real situation. I'm not trying to despise that, but I've never seen my colour to be a barrier or mm. my colour to be a, um, a a reason. If that makes sense, I just I just work hard for the sake of I guess my students. Um, so yeah, work hard and um, yeah, just work hard. <laughs> I keep yeah. trying. Yeah, keep, keep trying. Perseverance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Keep pushing those barriers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you like RE, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do love RE. Um, I didn't study at A level, which is um surprising, but yeah, yeah, I do, I do love RE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know you're an RE teacher, so. <laughs> Just thought I'd drop that in yeah. there. Anyway, um, listen, Emily, it's been lovely speaking to you. Oh, no, thank you so and, much. And you said the programme, your show is Mondays at... 8 to 9.30pm, but I'm just doing it 8 to 9 right now in summer, but hopefully get back to 90 minutes when school resumes. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, look out for that show. It's on Teacher Talk Radio. Um, and Emily is back next Monday, presumably, yeah, yeah. Um, with another programme. So look out for that on uh, Teacher Talk Radio. Uh, that's it uh, from me. Um, for this week, actually, there's no Shoreditch Radio podcast uh, this week. I'm uh, having a couple of days off, <laughs> trying to get some rest uh, this week. But I am back uh, next week, Tuesday night uh, at 8 o'clock. Uh, amongst guests next week, uh, Patrick Cozier, who is the head teacher of Highgate Wood School in uh, Haringey will be amongst guests uh, next Tuesday night uh, at eight o'clock. So in the meantime, uh, from me, thank you to both my guests, to Emily and to Darren Fletcher. I will see you and speak to you again next Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Bye-bye.